Welcome to The Innovative Mindset with your host, Harrison Kelly. The Innovative Mindset was created to give easy access to people with innovative stories and livelihoods that can teach valuable lessons to everybody. Today on episode 11, we have Francisco Mafus. He's a keynote speaker and podcast host and public speaking expert that emphasizes the importance of great storytelling. Please enjoy this episode of The Innovative Mindset with Harrison Kelly and Francisco Mafus. What's going on, everybody? Happy to bring you another episode of The Innovative Mindset. Today, I have a very special friend and guest, Francisco Mafuz. How are you doing, Francisco? I'm all right, sir. I've now gotten used to this, not really lockdown nonsense, because we're not really locked down anymore, but the, the, the socially distancing and self-isolation, which we've gotten to in Spain for the last few months. Uh, you know, you can get used to anything, I guess. We're in the same boat over here in the States, so <laughs> a lot of Zoom calls lately, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> for anyone unfamiliar, Francisco is a very talented keynote speaker and uh, pretty much public speaking expert, as well as the author of A Guide to Brutally Honest Public Speaking, Bear, and he is a podcast host of the Story Powers podcast, another great podcast I would definitely recommend checking out. Francisco, do you want to just take a couple minutes to introduce yourself and share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Oh, I mean, where, where to start? Um, so most of my focus nowadays is, is on storytelling because what tends to happen is that, you know, now we're doing Zoom meetings all the time, as, as you mentioned, and the, the truth is most people are very boring when it comes to communication, you know, particularly if you're looking at corporate communication. Meetings are the most one of the most boring things ever. Corporate communication is super boring. And, and the reason why it's boring is because typically people are just trying to communicate with, with facts and with data. So what I try to do, and most of my time is spent doing, is either, you know, back in the days when there were keynotes, was giving keynotes about how to use storytelling to make your communication more effective and more memorable, or to teach people on a one-to-one -one basis how to make, how to communicate better. So if you're talking to entrepreneurs that have to pitch themselves, if you're talking to salespeople that have to overcome objections, most of what I do is to speak to people about how they can use stories for that. And the other thing I do as well is because I'm a, I'm a, public speaker, then I, I also help people get better with that. And that's what the book was about. So, so that's the book I, I wrote last year and published earlier this year. And it's, it's all about how you, should, you can use um, humor and you can use vulnerability to make your public speaking more effective. And the, the brutally honest part is, is, is to do with being vulnerable and being, and, uh, I hate this word, being authentic. <laughs> but you know, how, what's the right way of doing that? And, uh, and, and, and it's, in my experience, it's not something that most people that speak in public know how to do or know how to do well. It's a very interesting approach to public speaking and a pretty unique one. I remember one of the previous times that we've spoken since we've, we've chatted quite a few times at this point, I mentioned a, uh, a family friend of mine who's somewhat old fashioned in a business sense. And I remember they checked out one of my LinkedIn posts that had been on the pretty vulnerable side, kind of admitting uh, a flaw of myself. And they said, successful business people don't show weakness. They only show their strengths. So what would your response be to that as someone who so embraces vulnerability? 
I think that's nonsense. And it doesn't take a great deal to of research to find out that there is nonsense. You know, if you list ten the ten most um, most well known business people at the moment, if they are at all in social media, you find that most of them share personal stuff all the time. You know, take take someone like Gary Vee, who is who is perhaps the biggest one on social media and active. Not not like people. You know, Bill Gates or whatever, but you know Gary V. Half of what he talks about is vulnerable personal matters and the importance of empathy. So this idea that a successful business person doesn't share anything personal that makes them look weak is misunderstanding what sharing vulnerable vulnerable things does to your audience. Because if you're sharing something where you made a mistake or where you were wrong, typically all that does is humanize you. And, you know, there's the saying that people want to do business with people that they like and trust and know. And there are fewer ways that are more effective, if any at all, to make yourself known and liked to your audience than showing you're just a human being like them. Um, business people that only share success, I mean, who does that and has any type of following? The companies might still be successful, but no one will follow them on social media. No one will really want to hear what they have to say um, if, they, if they don't have that human dimension to what to their communication. No doubt about it. I was just going to say Gary Vee is such a prime example versus one of those people that just like goes on their Instagram and posts them driving a flashy car or with an expensive watch on. Those people are not, <laughs> they're not the ones that I want to pay attention to because A, what am I learning from them? And B, it's like you said, that that trusting likability aspect isn't really there if you're just showing me that you have a Ferrari and a Tesla. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I couldn't agree more with that. Um, one of the main things I try and do with this show, and it seems like it's pretty similar to like what you try to do, is I try and translate people's stories into accessible information that can be translated to pretty much anyone. So if I have somebody on that's a uh, physical therapist, I want someone who's not in physical therapy to be able to kind of resonate with it and take life lessons away from it as well. Mm -hmm. How do you think that storytelling allows that to be possible? And what uh, in your sense of storytelling allows it to translate so well to anyone when you're a keynote speaker? The best way to learn anything is experience. Story is the second best way. Because, and, and this is interesting when you, if you look at the, at the science behind storytelling, this is fairly recent science, but if you look at the science behind storytelling, you find that it's almost always the same science that gets quoted because it is super interesting. And it's two things. The first one is that they've recently found out that when you are communicating using uh, sensorial data, so for example, you're talking about smells, you're talking about tastes, you're talking about the sounds, the part of your brain that lights up is the same part of your brain that lights up when you actually smell something or when you hear it or when you see it or when you touch it. Um, so that's one part. And the second part is that the brain waves of a storyteller and a listener are typically different when you start hearing a story. But as the story goes on, those brain patterns get closer and closer until they effectively align. And this is something they call, um, I believe it's called neurocoupling, which means that your brain and my brain, if I'm telling a story, start looking almost the same, which means you're experiencing the same thing I've experienced when I lived that story. Um, so when you put those two things together, what, what you're essentially saying is that storytelling is, you know, the original virtual reality. 
It's the way you allow other people to experience things that they haven't experienced it themselves, which makes it a great learning tool. So when you say, for example, you're interviewing a physiotherapist, right? If what you do is hear this, their story and then you come out with some takeaways and you give me the takeaways without the story, there's a much smaller chance that I'll remember those takeaways than you will because you actually heard the story. You know, the story, this was an example I gave on social media just last week where I said that the facts are just like ice cubes. You know, they're nice, they're shiny, they have a specific shape, but after a while they melt, they lose their shape. And if you chuck a few of those facts together, an ice bucket, give it a bit of a while and they become an indistinct mass. But if you put them in the ice tray that is story, they will melt a little, but they retain their shape. And it becomes a lot easier for you to look at them after a while and say, oh, this was this, this was that, and this is how they're different. This is how they're separate. So when you put all those things together, you have story being the best way for someone to experience something they haven't actually lived themselves. And because our brain understands things in story formats, you know, this happened and that happened, and that's why I should or shouldn't do that thing, you're making it more memorable. Um, and, and that's why story is so powerful. It's, it's the language of the brain. And we like to think that we evolved and we, we have better ways, you know, inverted quotes, of doing things. But our brain hasn't evolved to that extent. You're still looking at things as cause and effect. And if there's an emotion attached to it, then it's important and it should be remembered. And when you use story to communicate, all you're doing is, is hijacking that format that was responsible for our survival to make sure that whatever information you're trying to convey to your audience is being remembered the right way. Um, so there is very few ways that you couldn't or very few places in business or in personal life that communicating through story is not going to make it more effective and memorable. And this is what I try to get across to, to business people and you know, people in general, but business people, because, you know, those are the ones that pay me. <laughs> yeah, that, getting paid for it definitely doesn't hurt. <laughs> when, when you talk about making it so that it's memorable and sticks out in your brain with that ice tray, that's a, that's a great metaphor. What are the distinctions between a good storyteller and someone who could improve their storytelling? If you're talking about using storytelling for business and not just in general, I and mean, if, if there's a very big difference between using storytelling for business, what some people like I do call strategic storytelling uh, and just telling stories. If you're telling a story to, to your mates of something that happened, that, that's one thing. If you're telling a story in business, that's a different thing. The, the major difference is that a story in business needs to have a point. A story in business is, is a tool that you're using to deliver a certain message, but you need the message. If it's interesting and entertaining and you entertain people with that, but there is no takeaway, then, you, you know, then you're just being an entertainer. And that in business is not really gonna work unless you're a stand-up comedian. Um, so what a lot of people could do, could be a lot better at is one, realizing that their story has a point and that point needs to be made clear. Um, they also need to understand what the elements that make a story good and memorable. Uh, we can touch on those in a second, but there are specific things that each story needs to have, otherwise it's not gonna be, it's not gonna work. Um, and they also need to understand what needs to stay in the story and what needs to come out. 
because there's a lot of details that are perhaps not adding at all to the point and just making it convoluted and, and long. Whereas most stories that you're going to use in business or in sales, you should be able to tell within a minute or two. Um, so, you know, knowing exactly what to keep in and what to take out, knowing what the important elements are and, and remembering that these things should have a point are the, the most common mistakes apart from the most common mistake with storytelling is just people just don't use it. And that's by far the biggest mistake is just people just don't tell enough stories because they don't know how to do it. They don't know where to find them. Um, but those, those are typically the things I find that people need to get better at. You mentioned those elements that we could delve into those a little bit. What are, in your opinion, the most important elements of good storytelling or strategic, good strategic storytelling, I should say? Uh, apart from a point, all stories need to be uh, relatable, specific, and emotional. So relatable means that your character, usually you only need one or two characters for most stories you're going to use in business, that character needs to be relatable. Right. So if, if, if in this way, you know, we talked about the, the person who shows the Rolex or drives the Ferrari or the Lamborghini, that's not a very relatable character for most people. So a story about how your Lamborghini is giving you problems is, is unlikely to be a relatable story. Then it needs to be specific. So and by specific, I mean two things. It needs to have a specific moment that it happens, and it needs to have specific details in it. If you remember back to history, when you were in school, history had everything to be the most interesting class we would ever gonna have because you have violence, you have sex, you have intrigue, you have politics, you have all these things. But usually history was pretty boring because they were giving you uh, an overview of things. It was the you know, 30,000 foot view as some people say. You want the moment, you know, you want, if you're talking about ancient Rome, you want the Colosseum and the gladiators fighting and what exactly that looked like. You don't want, and the gladiators fought in the Colosseum, right? So you want a specific moment, a specific fight being described or, or anything like that. So a specific moment and the details. You know, if you're talking about, for example, if you're talking about social media, anyone that uses social media knows that, you know, there's the concern about what you should or shouldn't post. There is the more, you know, you post and half an hour later, no one has liked it, no one has commented it. If you mention things like that, which are very specific, anyone in your audience who uses social media will relate to those things and they will go oh yeah no that, that moment those specific details you're giving me i know exactly what you're talking about so it needs to be specific in time and in the details and the third thing is it needs to generate emotion so the people in the characters in your story need to be feeling something because if it's just oh yeah no i, I posted that thing and this is what happened and yeah then why are you telling us that, right? So either you need to be very excited about it or, or upset. It doesn't need to be dramatic, but you need to be feeling something. It needs to be frustration or excitement because that is the emotion that, that we are also going to feel when we hear the story. So those are the three things. It needs to be relatable. It needs to be specific and it needs to have emotion in it. If you have those elements in a story and a point, then you've got everything you need in there for it to be a good story. And three very important elements. Are there any of those elements that in particular you frequently come to find people are lacking when they're sharing stories? 
I think the specific moment is the is the most common one. You know, you you automatically have a relatable character. Well, almost certainly, you are a relatable character, and they they will describe their emotions. They'll describe how they felt. Oh, that really pissed me off, or whatever. But they will describe it from very far. Oh, you know, I have I'm, my boss. My boss is an asshole, and going to work is a nightmare, and I'm really frustrated about it. But there's nothing specific about it. You know, but if you tell me. You don't be, you won't believe what my boss just did. And then you described in specific details that yesterday, when you got to work, the, the, the your boss said this or did that, then that makes for a much better story. Otherwise, it's it's a description of of something that is happening in your life, but it's not really a story. You know, oh, my boss is a nightmare and it drives me insane and I'm really frustrated about my job. Those are just statements. You know, there's no, you're not giving enough of an example of what's happening for it to really be an anecdote or a story. And and, and it's, 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 the opposite is also true. It's, it's very difficult to make a story without a specific moment. It's very difficult to describe a specific moment without that being a story. One of the other things that I find so admirable about you and that I like is that you're so willing to make fun of yourself. <laughs> you're constantly willing to make yourself the butt of the joke. I think that that's something that people can learn from tying back into that authenticity and vulnerability. Do you have any advice to anyone who wants to get a little better at getting, getting, being able to let your guard down and mock yourself a little bit? I think you have to begin by, by, by changing your mindset about how you look at certain things, because we all have endless amounts of things we are crap at, or that we failed at, or at least that we weren't very good when we started or things that frustrate us or things that, and, and you can just look at these things from a very negative point of view. You can just be frustrated and tired and exhausted and upset. And, and I think that, you know, it, that's not a good outlook on life to begin with. If you're looking for the comedy things, chances are you're not taking them as seriously and you're feeling better about, about your life in general. Once that starts being the case, you find that most things can be, if not funny, they can at least be amusing. And it also is very disarming if you're describing the things you're crap at in, in a self-deprecating way, because, you know, those weaknesses, as, as some people call them, those are arguably the things people could use against you. But if you're using them yourself to say, look how amusing this is, I tried this and I completely sucked at it, then one, you're taking a weapon away from anyone who could criticize you. But also you were saying to people, you know, I'm a human being, I make mistakes and I'm, I'm, I'm open to admitting them. And hopefully also trying to improve on those mistakes. And I think when you're trying to decide if you want to do business with someone or not, that will make them feel like a 3D character, right? It will make them feel like a real person. And again, preferably, you don't want to be talking about the things you suck at the thing you're supposed to be good at. Right? I don't want to be telling about how I try to teach someone storytelling and I suck at it. That's perhaps not a good professional move, but I can talk about relationships. I can talk about being a parent. I can talk about all these other things that have don't have a direct impact in my job, like, you know, setting up a newsletter, the technical aspects of podcasting, like none of those things will take away from me being a good podcaster or not, that I suck at editing, for example, right? Or I can be a great story speaker, and maybe I suck at the admin of the job. 
So th that's fine. That, that doesn't take away from your talent at the thing you're supposed to be really good at. Um, and people relate to those things. You know, anyone in business, anyone who's an entrepreneur knows that doing the job is easy. Getting the chance to do the job is the hard part. You know, no one says, oh, I've got a client. It's so difficult actually doing the job that people are hiring me to do. Everybody says, oh, I'm very good at the job. It's just getting the clients. That's the difficult part. And that's fine. Uh, unless what you're trying to sell is sales or marketing, that's okay. So I think that change the mindset to, to look for the funny side of things, which will be a great thing in life, even if you never use this on public speaking or in storytelling or whatever. Um, and then just try to use those as the relatable parts of your story, um, because that will humanize you to, to, to everyone else and to prospects. I, I don't just don't think that there is anything to lose as long as you keep in mind that you're not supposed to be making fun of yourself in the things that you are actually trying to sell services for. Yeah. It has to be strategic self-marketing. It can't mm. just be, uh, it can't be endless. If I, yeah, if I came on the podcast was like, I suck at podcasting. It's not a super great incentive to stick around, but if I can make fun of something else, exactly. The editing portion, you, that's, that's the part I you suck can, at too. So. You can suck. So this is the thing, you know, this is a story you're telling people it's okay to suck in the beginning or the middle if you're at the end of it it's not okay to suck in the middle while you're in the middle but it depends on how i mean the podcasting is is a good example because people could be listening to your show and you can say you have no idea what a mess this is before i put it out there because if you're putting out good product it doesn't really matter that it's a nightmare that it takes you 50 hours to get an episode ready it doesn't matter because yes, that yeah, doesn't result. affect that doesn't affect the end result uh, what you don't want to be doing is saying you know i i coach clients to to use storytelling for sales and when I get a coaching client, you've no idea what a mess I make of it. And it takes me, you know, it takes me 10 hours to be able to give them any value. Now that you don't want to do because you're just, all you're saying is you crap at your job. Now you can say that when you started doing that five years ago, you sucked at your job and now you don't anymore. That's fine. Right. But you, you shouldn't be saying you suck at your job now. I mean, that's not the way to use self-deprecating humor in, in, in business, at least. I mean, if you want to tell that to your friends, that's fine. But, you know, maybe you should revisit the job you're doing if you really suck at it. Yeah, don't throw it on the LinkedIn post, though. <laughs> Although I will say, I think LinkedIn is perfect validation of what you touched on regarding past mistakes. People really enjoy the process of finding success. So if you can delve into here's a mistake I made early on and here's how it translated to me being successful now. I think that that might be the content that resonates the most with people on LinkedIn. Would you agree? Yes. Uh, people like to, again, they, they go back to the story elements. Those are relatable stories, you know, and the emotion you're, you were talking about is again, relatable. So you're talking about being frustrated about something to do with business. Now, everyone that's in link, on LinkedIn is in some business or another, and they're all, there are things they're frustrated about. So that, that will naturally be something that will resonate with people. If you're sharing things that, you know, if you're sharing success, there's a lot of people that are on LinkedIn that don't feel successful at the moment. So that your stories are just not going to resonate with people. Um, so that, that you're always going to find more of an audience if you are talking about what they're living through. And, you know, if, if you're doing super well 
or super, you know, or very badly, and that's not where your audience is, then those are not the stories that you want to be sharing. Because again, you can share them, but then you, it's not going to resonate. So you, you want to, although it's your story, you are really telling their story with a different character. And that's what they'll do. They'll, they'll read it and think, I can relate to this because I've gone through this or I am going through this now. If that connection is not there, then, you know, it's not going to get, whatever you do, it's not going to get engagement on social media. It's not going to, clients or potential potential customers are not going to feel this person understands me. And, and that's really what you're trying to say. I'm just like you. I've had problems like you and per perhaps I've now solved them. And maybe I can show you how to solve yours. And if that's not there, then you're, you're telling the wrong story. It really ties into one of the key tenets of, of good marketing, knowing your target audience. If you um, don't know, if, you're, if your content isn't resonating with people, you need to take a step back and think about, well, what would resonate with the people that I'm trying to have it resonate with? So hmm. uh, super important. And, and the, the, key, the key thing to storytelling is that it's, it's really applicable regardless of what you do. I think just having the capability of being a good speaker in general has so much value regardless of whether you're speaking in a large audience or speaking to a group of people casually. And let me pick up on that point. So you said, the, you know, the importance of knowing your audience, which is a pretty traditional marketing message. So for example, I, I so I'm, I'm married uh, and I live in Barcelona, but that wasn't always the case. And for a long time, when I started dating my, my, my now wife, she was in she was in Barcelona and I was in and I was in London and then I was in Madrid. So for about four years we were we were doing the distance the long distance thing, and then I think I was in, I was in Madrid already and we were meeting once every two three weeks. And then I said to her, "Listen, the next time you come, the next weekend you come, um, bring a nice dress because um, I want to take you somewhere special because I've got a I've got a surprise for you." And um, and and we went to this to this lovely old house, and we are having this amazing dinner. And there's a piano player, and every sort of all the waiters and are really formally dressed. And then and my wife, I mean, well, my girlfriend at the time, she's um, I don't know, she doesn't seem like she's that much into it. She seems a bit nervous, right? The conversation is not really flowing. I, I don't know. I just I'm just getting a bit of a weird vibe from her. And halfway through dinner, the waiter. Um, gets a champagne glass and a fork and bangs them together and everybody pays attention and then he starts singing an opera because the the surprise was that this restaurant I took her to was was a restaurant but it was also a musical school and all the staff were being trained as classical musicians which I thought was pretty cool so we had a bit of opera throughout dinner and you know she again didn't seem to be that that excited about it and kept peeking at her food um so i was like okay fine something maybe i don't know maybe something was going on and she didn't want to tell me and i just had no idea what it was and then a long time later right i i asked her so you know we were married already and i said what what happened that day? I and mean, I forgot to ask you right after. You seemed annoyed, and I, you know, I took you to this restaurant, and you you didn't seem to enjoy it. And I, I tried really hard to get a reservation there. And she said, "What you said? It was told me to dress nicely, and you said you had a surprise. I thought you were going to propose." 
And I had no idea. I mean, obviously I'm a moron. I don't know that if you've been dating someone for a while and you tell them to dress nicely and you have a surprise that that means you're going to propose. <laughs> I had no idea that's what she meant. And I said, really? Is, is that what that means for a woman? And she said, ask all your female friends and that's what they'll tell you. And I did and they're like, yeah, that sounds like you're gonna propose. Uh, so I had no idea. Hence, you know, it is very important to know your audience, know the language that they speak in, because otherwise you're going to have this embarrassing, you know, mishaps in communication. Um, and, and that that I just did or tried to do there is one example of just trying to make the exact same point that you can make just by saying it, but by trying to do it in a more colorful way. Now, everybody knows the know your audience thing, but if you had never heard that concept before and you told you said that or you told a story like the one i just did i have a feeling you're much more likely to remember the concept by remembering the stupid story of the guy who the the the, the, the woman who thought the husband was gonna the, the boyfriend was gonna propose and the boyfriend had absolutely no idea um and that i think is one of the the reasons why storytelling does make sense if you're speaking in public if you're selling if you're if you're just even in just normal business interactions if you have to have a meeting and you have to explain something if you can wrap the concepts around the story if if nothing else it will make it more memorable whereas if you're just describing things you know features and benefits and all that then there's a good chance that people just won't remember Exactly. Yeah. You saying that sticks out a lot more than saying something that, that people have heard so many different times. So if you want to stick out in people's memory, definitely introducing a story that resonates is, is a good way to doing it. Uh, something interesting that's kind of a side note that I had that doesn't tie in directly to the other things that we've been speaking about is the fact that you're also a financial advisor on top of the keynote speaking and things like that. I wanted to see how the, those two separate business pursuits that you have have helped one another flourish. Has there been a lot of overlap between business opportunities within those two? Well, industries? not really. I, th I think you'd say, you know, the, the, I'm a financial advisor on top of that, the other stuff. I would argue that I'm a financial advisor underneath the other stuff because the, the, the reality is that this underneath is the job I've it. done for a very long time. It's over a decade now that I've been doing this. And, and, to a certain degree, my financial advisor job is is an autopilot because I have had I have worked with with the, the same clients or mostly the same clients for pretty much a decade, and most of the growth I have there is very organic. So it's it's referrals that more than anything else. So so that is a job that doesn't actually take me that long to do. Um, particularly now that everything has pretty much become remote, then um, you know speaking to clients saves a lot of time on traveling. So I can do that job and still have a lot of time to spare, which is one of the reasons when I started thinking about taking the speaking and the storytelling professionally, that I it wasn't the hardest decision in the world because I knew I had the time to dedicate to it if I wanted to. And I also knew that I had a solid enough job that I didn't have to, it didn't have to be a mad dash for getting the career started, otherwise I would starve. It was, well, I'll start this, I'll do it right. And if it takes six months longer than perhaps it would have taken otherwise, it doesn't matter because this is this wasn't where my most of my income was coming from when I started uh, doing it. The, the only way that they overlap is that 
I have been doing a lot of um, speaking and training in, in my normal job because I'm, I run a team of, of guys. And also they, they overlap in the sense that I do client work and I sell to clients and I have to explain a whole bunch of stuff to clients. And I found out a long time ago that the best way to do that is with stories. So, you know, respecting people's privacy, but I share client stories with exist with other clients and I share client stories with new prospects because that's just the best way to explain most of the stuff I do. So whereas before in the beginning, I would say, oh, let me tell you about the company and this is how we work and this is how we do. It's a lot better to say, uh, listen, let me tell you the story of Joe, who is someone I started working with a while back and his story it is very he's very similar to you because this blah 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 and you understand i think you probably answer most of the questions you'd have other than me just boring you for the next 10 minutes and then you just tell one of those stories and if you get if you're dealing with clients and you get objections they say oh but i'm concerned about the markets or whatever I said okay fine listen um I understand that. And I had a very similar conversation just the other day with one of my clients. Uh, and this is what's happening with that person. And then you just tell the story of what's happening with that client and the decisions they've made and why those worked out or didn't work out. Um, so it's just the way I communicate with my clients more often than not is the same way that if I'm, if I'm doing any coaching, I'll be telling people to communicate with their clients. And if I'm, with with the keynote speaking, I don't find that my personal experience as a financial advisor is the type of example I end up using a lot when I'm when I'm unless it's salespeople. If it's salespeople that I'm speaking to, then I, I can use some of my experience. But I try not to using use that type of experience because it confuses things a bit. If I'm if I'm talking from the point of view of I'm the expert in storytelling, if I throw the I'm also financial advisor in there, it's just two messages. It just doesn't help um, when you know because at that moment I'm performing as the storytelling expert. So I don't want to add other expertises to it unless if I was speaking to a whole bunch of financial advisors, then a hundred percent I'll be talking about how I also do your job. Right. I. I think having your area of expertise in financial advising is particularly beneficial in the sense that it's such a competitive space. And it's like, I'm getting messages from financial advisors that are saying, hey, let's hop on a call and discuss your finances with nothing unique to the message mm. constantly, probably like several, three times a week. So the fact that you're able to, to kind of spin a story and make something that people want to hear in the mm. financial advising space is definitely a skill set well, that sticks out. And this is the thing that people just don't get. If you replace storytelling by communication, no one would argue against the, the the value of getting better at it. You know, would it help? Would it be helpful for you as a salesperson to communicate better? Of course. Would it be helpful for you as an HR manager to communicate better? Of course. Would it be helpful for you as a leader to communicate better? Yes. Now, all we're saying is there is this thing that has been tried and tested for the last who knows two hundred thousand years. Um, and that is how your brain has evolved to understand information and retain information. So why when you communicate 99% of the time, you don't use that. But when you tell your mates about funny stuff or interesting stuff or strange stuff that happened in your life, you use it. Why don't you, you know, why do you tell a story when it's not a business thing, but when you want people to remember what you're saying, you, just go back to features and benefits, right? 
And perhaps it's because we've gotten into our head that storytelling is something that artists do or that parents do with their children. Um, but that's just not true. And if you go into any company and, and you find their most successful leaders, you find that those people tell plenty of stories. And everybody loves talking about Steve Jobs. Well, Steve Jobs told stories all the time and ran Pixar for a while. Um, you're not going to find an effective business leader or business communicator that does not use stories. Um, but for some reason, people just don't think what they take away from watching Steve Jobs speak is I should be a, a, a better public speaker, which is true. And I should have simpler PowerPoint or keynote presentations, which is also true. But they don't necessarily take away the part about how he told stories. Uh, and that's one of the most important parts of, of the way he commu why he communicated so effectively. I th it sounds like it's it's somewhat twofold. They need to people need to start recognizing that his storytelling is such an important component of why he found so much success. But they also need to be conscious of okay, how can I mimic that while still figuring out how to convey my own stories that are powerful enough. So it, it's it sounds like it's a two step process with that portion mm. of of what Steve Jobs did so well. It's it's the understanding that the the best way to communicate something so people understand and remember and don't argue against is a story. If you understand that, then you think, okay, well, I'm trying to get this message across. This is a difficult message. Well, yes, then what we're normally going to do is use an example. An example is often a story. Um, if, if it's something you want people to remember, then make it a story because that's how the brain remembers things. And if you want to avoid an argument, if I tell you facts or if I tell you features and benefits, you can argue with me, right? So if, if I'm trying to tell you how to manage your money better, I can say something like, well, the stock market is the best way to make money in the long term. And you can disagree with me. And if you disagree with me very strongly, is it almost always going to be because you have a story about something that happened to you or to a friend of yours? Oh, yes, but my father, and then you're going to tell me how your father lost all of his money with bad investments. And that story to you is going to be a lot more, more, a lot stronger than if I say, yeah, I understand that, but your father is one person. Look at the numbers, and the numbers suggest that over 50 years, you have X percent chance of making this much money every year with, and you go, yeah, sure, but my father's, you know, because you're, you have an experience or that's an experience with someone close to you. And if you go and then make a whole lot of money from investing or your best friend does, you now have two stories competing. And if it's your story, then that story is going to win. So that's what you need to do. You don't give people a whole bunch of facts to try and beat a story. You need a story to beat a story. You just give them a different story. They, they can say, unless they think you're a liar, they're not going to say, well, no, that's not true. They could say, oh, interesting you say that because my father, because something different happened to my father. And you could say, well, I have plenty of stories where that came from. I can tell you stories of most of my clients and their stories look a lot more like the one I just told you than the one from your father, right? Um, and I have, I can tell you something that happened to a client of mine that is similar to your father. And, and perhaps I think you might take away something different from that story. It's not that, you know, the... the the lesson of the story is not, if you look, invest in the stock market, you lose money. The lesson is, if you invest with, anyone, with no one advising you, if you invest in things that you don't understand, if you invest and never look at it again, 
right? So again, you want them to take a, to, to have a different takeaway from the story, tell a similar story with a slightly different point, or maybe even interact with their story. But again, you need a story to beat a story. And, and this is what's almost always gonna happen in sales or marketing. You are trying to convey a message. People already have a story in their head and their story is stronger than your story. It's more compelling. And, and then you're never gonna get, overtake that or convince them otherwise if you're trying to use a lesser communication tool, which is you know facts and figures and you know anything that is not a story essentially. Yeah, for whatever reason, the PowerPoints just don't hit the same as a compelling story. So, <laughs> right, so you're, bringing, you're, bringing, you're bringing a PowerPoint knife to a story fight. It's not, yeah. uh, it's not, it's not going to work. Yeah, it's like a butter knife compared to like a steak knife. It's not, not going to work. So, yeah, yeah I, think that, I think it's pretty clear why you found success in both realms, both as a financial advisor and within the, the keynote speaking. So it's... Um, yeah, it's it's always a pleasure to chat with you, Francisco. I see we're uh, we're getting closer to that that time to hang out with the kids, Mark. I see you glancing over there. I think they're ready for you. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, hanging hanging out with the kids is uh, would be would be delightful if I was cutting podcast shorts to hang out with the kids. <laughs> I'm cut I'm cutting them short or giving them a set time limit because because now I have to start the very slow and sometimes painful process of convincing the children of doing all the things that they need to do between now and the time they go to bed you just so gotta tell them a story of why they need to do their chores it's that oh, simple. I, I do it, <laughs> i do that all the time and um i think at you know because my oldest is not four yet at f not four yet you know at that age they can still um, there's only so much they take from like the moral of the story they remember a lot of stuff but i've tried so many times to just tell the story that says exactly the message i'm trying to convey and some stuff gets through but i think she needs to be a little older for the for those stories to you know she remembers the the fun parts of the story or the scary parts or the any part that has like a wolf but she doesn't quite remember, you know, she loves the three little pigs, but she, I'm not sure she gets that hard work pays off. Yeah. Is the message <laughs> the lessons it. aren't there yet. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's like, well, if a wolf's trying to get into your house, light up the fireplace. That, that's probably the lesson she takes out of that one. <laughs> Give her some time. She'll be not only understanding the stories, but I'm sure she'll be telling some awesome stories herself. Oh, she does. She does it already. She 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 repeats the ones I tell her um, to to her teddy bears and to random people that that fall for the mistake of saying they would like to listen to a story from her. Um, uh, so yeah, no, I think she's she's well on her way. She's on her way. She'll she'll be a keynote speaker soon enough too. Mm, she does she does talk for talk enough for the job to to, to be a good fit. <laughs> it's a good sign. Yeah. Oh, well, well, thank you again for coming on. It's always a pleasure. My pleasure. My pleasure, and best of luck with the with the with the podcast journey. I know full well how how difficult those first few months are, but you know you now have uh, significantly better tech than the first time we spoke. So you're <laughs> yeah. For anyone <laughs> for anyone listening, still we uh, we had a rough draft first episode when I first started, probably probably five or six months ago. Now I can't even believe it's been that long, but I'm definitely. Well, uh, well you you didn't know how to look at the camera and I was in the <laughs> toilet. So I think yeah, that's, so. <laughs> that's we it both, all. We both come so far. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, can't wait to release this one. I think this one's uh, pretty, pretty gold stuff. So it should be out soon enough. <laughs> Thanks again, Francisco. Take care, man. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 11 with our guest today, Francisco Mafus. Please join us on your favorite podcast platform. That's YouTube included for the video version of the show. So that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify as well. Don't forget to follow on Instagram and connect with Harrison on LinkedIn. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next one.